Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much that we can be certain that in Jesus Christ we are heaven-bound. And Lord, remind us of that hope today, not just cognitively, Lord, but remind us of that hope in the deepest parts of who we are. For every one of us have come to this experience from different weeks. Many of us are carrying in baggage that is weighing us down in so many ways. And so, Lord, when we come to your word, when we come to your spirit, we pray that you would speak to us in the very deepest parts of who we are and that you would stir in us a hope that transcends any circumstances we've had to face, a hope that the glory to be revealed in us far surpasses any suffering we've ever had to endure. Give us hope. In Jesus Christ today, Lord, for that is the only true and lasting hope. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So several times I run into folks who participate in our worship service, and they have the same question. You speak awfully certainly that you're going to go to heaven when life on this earth comes to an end. And I say, yes. They said, how can you be so sure? And you may be wondering that today. How can we sing about the role being called up yonder and we'll be there? And how can we talk about that sweet chariot that's going to swing low, coming for to carry me home? How can we sing like we have such certainty that that's going to be the story for us? Well, I'm going to tell you today. But I want you to know that you can have that certainty too. In our area, you'll hear... People say often, you might even hear a preacher or two say, our goal is to get to heaven, which I understand where they're coming from. Absolutely, we want to see the, the glory that God has promised us, but it's not a goal like a weight loss goal. Like if we just try hard enough and do the right things enough, maybe just maybe we'll reach the goal. That's not it. No, that's not what Christianity is. This is not a try harder and you'll get it sort of faith. No, this is a faith in a finished work, completed not by you, not by me, completed by Almighty God himself. See, every religion in the world is people reaching up to try to get to God. That's what every religion in the world is. They realize something is broken. They've sinned. They've messed up. They may not call it sin, but somehow they've broken the God's standards, and they are therefore separated. And so every single religion in the world is people reaching up to try to get back to God, however they define God. But let me tell you why Christianity is so different, and here's why we can be absolutely certain that when the role is called up yonder, we'll be there. Every religion in the world is sinners reaching up to try to get to God, but in the message of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, crucified to pay the price for our sin, risen to defeat death, God reached down. That's how we can be sure. Not that we'll eventually reach high enough to get to God, but that through Jesus Christ, God reached low enough to get to us. So how can we be so sure? Well, it's on the cover of your bulletin. It's the title of the message. I have one reason why anyone who trusts and follows Jesus can be sure that when the role is called up yonder, they'll be there. Here it is. Jesus promised. Jesus promised. You know, a promise is only as good as the one who makes it. 
Politicians understand this. I mean, when they're campaigning at the highest level, many of them will hire image consultants and marketing agents whose only job is to make sure that when you look at their picture or you watch their ad, you have stirred within you this sense, I can trust that person. And I mean, they pay big money for that because they know that you won't vote for somebody you can't trust. And that's why scandals are such a big deal when political scandals happen. Because what happens is trust is broken between the person who's been invested with the office and the people who put that person there. And when that trust is broken, it's really hard to build back. I mean, it might, might result not only in scandal, but it might result in a loss in the next election cycle. It might result in impeachment. It might result in resignation of the office. That's a hard thing. But not just at that sort of level. I mean, think about it in your own life. What do you do when somebody you thought you could trust breaks their promise to you? It's tough, isn't it? And of course, you find it hard to forgive them, and I want you to know that's a, that's a human situation. That's a, that's a very human circumstance to find it hard to forgive, but if you're going to trust and follow Jesus, then you know you have to forgive. Unforgiveness is not an option for Christians. We have to forgive, but the question then comes, how much do I trust this person? I mean, what if, what if they made the promise that they would be there and then, then they weren't? Or what if they made the promise to have and to hold from this day forth? And they didn't. What if they made the promise that they were going to take care of my kid and they broke that sacred trust? My loss of trust is a big deal, and it takes a long time to rebuild broken trust. It really does. A promise is only as good as the person who made it, but I want to tell you that Jesus Christ himself has promised that if you are a believer in Jesus. You have repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You trust Jesus and follow Jesus. You believe the gospel and you've received Christ as Lord. He has promised that you have a home with him forevermore. So our theme for the message today is this. Jesus promised his followers an eternal home with him. Jesus promised his followers an eternal home with him. I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 14. You know this passage. Many of you have this passage memorized. John 14, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And we're going to hear straight from Jesus' mouth, as recorded by the Apostle John as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, what exactly Jesus promised those who trust and follow him. Jesus promised his followers an eternal home with him. Incidentally, for those of you who like to work ahead, those are the points today. Jesus promised his followers an eternal home with him. And then I'll get to point number five at the end. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He knows they're getting ready to face the hardest three days they've ever known in their lives, the hardest three days the world would ever know. And he looks at them and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. The heart is a very important thing in Scripture. The heart is a very important thing today. 
The heart is this notion. It comes from the Hebrew word lev, that the heart is the inner person, the mind, the will, the heart, the, the center of who I am. It's not just that muscle that beats within the center of my chest. No, it's, it's the core of who I am. It's where I'm asking God to speak to us every Sunday, speak to us at the core of who we are. And the Bible says that we should guard our hearts above all else. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So we have graduates in the room, people who are closing one chapter and stepping into the next. You can talk to Dr. Pitts or Dr. Tinius. They're right there. And you can get their expertise on so many things. But you know, every one of us, no matter what our title is, no matter what our achievement is, no matter what our net worth is, everything we do flows from our heart. And God said, guard it above all else. Well, how's your heart today? How is your heart today? Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. The word that he uses for troubled is terasso. It means to stir it up, to trouble. It connotes inner turmoil and emotional agitation. And so what is Jesus commanding his disciples to do as he's preparing them for his own cross and death and subsequent resurrection? Well, he is commanding them not to allow their hearts to be stirred up within them in response to circumstances outside their control. You know, I talk to people all the time, and all of us are facing the same thing. We're facing a world that is still dealing with shock for the past three years, really. And that's on top of things that were already there. Dealing with the realities of pandemics and racial tension and political upheaval and all the things. And everybody's just kind of raw right now. They, I mean, they really are. Just kind of struggling. How do we put life back together? I mean, that is, that is universal. I was talking to somebody a moment ago about trying to hire people. Those of you who are trying to hire people are finding that's a difficult task. Trying to keep people is a difficult task. I mean, there's just a lot going on in the world. Jesus spoke to his disciples in preparation for the hardest three days the world would ever know, let not your hearts be troubled. You know what Jesus speaks to us this day? Let not your heart be troubled. God has commanded us to guard our hearts for everything we do flows from it. But you know, even we can't do that perfectly. We can't guard our own hearts well. We've got to have somebody who's greater than our hearts who can guard them. God has given us that somebody. It's him. It's him. And that's why when Paul writes to the church at Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be evident to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, present your request to God. What does he say next? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, doesn't make sense. What will it do? It will guard your heart, and it will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. So what do you do when your heart is hurting and life is raw and it's just so tough? You let not your hearts be troubled. You say, well, how do I do that? You surrender to Jesus and say, Lord, I need your peace that doesn't make any sense. It made no sense for Jesus in that upper room to look at his disciples and say, let not your hearts be troubled. 
But then he's going to tell them why they should let their hearts not be troubled. In the very next sentence, second half of verse 1, he said, believe in God, believe also in me. So point one, Jesus promised. Point two, Jesus promised his followers. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. And he says it in the form of a command. In other words, it could also be translated, trust God, trust me. How many of you have found the longer you've lived that sometimes God just says, trust me? Sometimes God calls us to trust him because the circumstances don't make sense. We can't wrap our mind around it. We can't wrap our heart around it. It doesn't make sense. And all we know is that it hurts. And God says these two words, trust me. In fact, one time when I was going through the dark night of the soul, that happens occasionally. It happens to all of us. It was as if the Holy Spirit said, do you trust me? Well, yes, Lord, I trust you. Then trust me. Do you trust me? Then trust me. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying things are getting ready to get really hard. But don't panic. Because although they get hard, I know how it ends. Although it's going to get hard, I know how it ends. Although there's a cross, although Jesus knows he's getting ready to be beaten within an inch of his life, have all the skin stripped off of him, and he's going to be paraded down the Via Dolorosa through the public so they can mock him and scorn him, and he's going to be nailed to an old rugged cross just outside the city on one of the busiest streets of the ancient world, and they're going to come by, and they're going to wag their heads, and they're going to deride him. He knows all that's coming, and he knows his disciples are going to, they're going to scatter. The shepherd will be struck, and the sheep are going to scatter. He knows all that's coming. But you know what Jesus knows is coming that they are not sure about just yet? After the cross comes a resurrection. After the cross comes a resurrection. When he walks victoriously out of that tomb, over sin, over Satan, over hell, over death, over the grave, he's won. So he was saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust God, trust me, because I know how the story ends. And I remember one time Billy Graham said this. I heard him say it. I was watching him on TV. He said, we've read the end of the Bible. We know it's going to be all right for everybody who's in Jesus. And so I can't look at you and say, your situation right now that you're facing is going to be fine. I just, nobody can do that. But you know what Jesus says to everyone who trusts him and follows him? In the end, it's going to be just fine. It's going to be okay. And that's a promise. Not from me, from Jesus. Believe him. You believe God, believe Jesus. What does he say next? He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Point number three. Jesus promised his followers an eternal home. Jesus promised his followers an eternal home. Jesus speaks of an eternal dwelling. If you're reading your King James Version, it talks about mansions. If you're in the ESV or the NIV, it talks about rooms. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. What's he speaking of? He's speaking of the notion of place. He's speaking of the notion of place. We have some, some now college students who've come home. I hope that your room is not now an office or a workout room. Soon as my kids are out, we're transforming it. I've got better use for that space. 
And sometimes when you come home and your, your space has been transformed, you say, what happened? And it's not that you just love that poster that was on the wall. It's just that, where's my place? Right? When, when Jesus is talking about in his Father's house there being many rooms, what is he communicating? Well, he's saying to every one of us who have given our lives to him, we have a place in the Father's kingdom. We make fun of it today, but back in 1993, how many of y'all remember those ancient days? I told you about the time we passed a Model T Ford and my daughter goes, Daddy, look, a car from the 90s. Thanks, honey. But in 1993, a group named Audio Adrenaline, or if you were cool, Audio A, released a song called Big House. Said, I don't know where you lay your head or where you call your home. I don't know where you eat your meals or where you talk on the phone. I don't know if you got a cook, a butler, or a maid. I don't know if you got a yard with a hammock in the shade. I don't know if you've got some shelter, say a place to hide. I don't know if you live with friends in whom you can confide. I don't know if you got a family, say a mom or dad. I don't know if you feel love at all, but I bet you wish you had. And then they have this chorus that's an invitation. Come and go with me to my father's house. Come and go with me to my father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. It's a big, big yard where we can play football. It's a big, big house. It's my father's house. And we make fun of it today because we're so much more dignified than that now. But what is, why, why do I remember this song? Why did this speak to a generation? Because it told us that in Jesus we had a place in the father's house. And even if we didn't have a place here, we had a place in the father's house. Home. And there's enough room for you. And can I tell you, there's still enough room for you in the Father's house. There's room for you to come and know that you are welcome. You're not trespassing. You're supposed to be there. You've been invited. And in Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven of your sins and adopted by grace into the family of God. You belong there. You know, it's so funny. We have people walk into our building, and they'll look around, and they'll go, if I come in here, it might fall down. And I'll never forget the night that I got voted in when four people had sense enough to vote no and the rest of you, bless your hearts. But I came back to the, to the Christmas program that night. It was a sanctuary choir Christmas program. And, and I sat back there in the back row next to my friend John Michael Huffman. And as I watched this amazing choir and this amazing orchestra and all that was going on, I looked up around this room and, and this was my prayer. Really? <laughs> really, God? You want me here? And only four people in the church actually voted no? Are they crazy? Really? And you know that's what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. We're going to look around and we're going to go, really, Lord? You want me here? And what he will say is what he has already said through Jesus. Yes. You too. You're welcome here. You're not trespassing. You're supposed to be here. Jesus has come and prepared your place. It's all ready just for you. You have a place here. It's not somebody else's that we're letting you borrow. No, this is yours. So when you walk into glory and you go, really? Just know you're supposed to be there. Not because you're great. Because Jesus has made the way for you to be there. 
verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus promised his followers an eternal home with him. That's the definition of heaven, with him. If you notice, when Jesus called his disciples, he called them to leave their lives of whatever they were doing to come and be with him. He did not give them a detailed map of what the next three years would look like. He just said, come follow me. Just like God said to Abraham in the wilderness, Jesus said to the disciples in the wilderness, and he says to you and me, follow me. And as we follow him, we don't know all the the ins and outs of what's going to happen. We don't know all the twists and turns. I mean, graduates, we're getting ready to watch God's plans unfold in your life, and we don't know what that's going to look like. But he does, and that's enough. Amen? He just says, follow me. And the glory of heaven is that you get to be with him. With him. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 and 18. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're talking about the God who looked at Moses and Joshua and Gideon and says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you. We're talking about Jesus who looked at his disciples just before he ascended to heaven and said, lo, I am with you always. Let me ask you a question. When is always? Well, I know in church on Sunday morning, it's easy to say, yeah, always is always. But through the week, it doesn't always feel like always, does it? Maybe you just need this gentle reminder from the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he's with us always, and always? Well, that's always. Jesus promised his followers that we would have an eternal home with him. Well, then Thomas speaks up. I like Thomas. He asks the questions I want to ask. John 14, let's look at verses 4 through 6. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So point number five is this. Jesus told us the way to get there. Now, that definite article is very important. Jesus is not a way. He is the way, the only way. He said the road to the kingdom of God was narrow, and it is. It passes through the span of one man, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ, the son of the living God. He died on a cross for you. He rose from the grave, and he opens his arms to say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And all means everybody. So come to him. If you come to him, if you repent of your sins and receive him as your personal Lord and Savior, then you can sing with utter certainty that when the roll is called up yonder, you'll be there, not because you're so good, but because the work he has done is fully and finally effective. He paid it all. Your job is to put every bit of your faith and trust in him. And then you can know with utter certainty that when your life on this earth comes to an end, you go home to be with him, to the place that he's prepared for you. Not as a trespasser, not as a stowaway, but as a child being brought home to your room, your place, because you're wanted. 
You're wanted by Almighty God. So today, if you've not begun your relationship with Jesus, let today be the day of salvation for you. Confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, but turn to Jesus, who is the Savior, and let Him forgive you. Let Him cleanse you. Let Him bring you into God's family. Let Him give you the assurance that because you believe in God and believe in Him, you have a place with Him forevermore. Father, we love you. This old world sure doesn't feel like home. But we're so thankful that you have promised that even as we traverse this old world, we can let not our hearts be troubled. We can believe in God. We can believe in you. We thank you for the many rooms that are in the Father's house and that you have prepared a place for us, for every person who trusts you and follows you. And so, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that if there's any who've yet to take their place by placing their faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. They would say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I believe you're the Savior. Come into my life. I put all of my faith and hope and trust in you. And then, Lord, let us live as those who have been promised that it's all going to be all right in the end. Let us live with that transcendent hope as the light of Christ shines brightly through us to call every human being on the planet to come to Jesus, to come through Jesus to the Father, and to find everlasting life in our heavenly home. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.